0: Number 10? Ah, I think it's recording. Okay. Bill Bill can straighten all that mess out. He (laughs) can add. Open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. Last week, we saw in this chapter, the Lord Jesus gave sight to a man who had been born blind. And I said last week, that that because of the length of the chapter, we got down through verse 38, that we're just going to look at the exposition of just what happened. And I have to tell you again, every time I read this chapter, I just get caught up in joy with how this man who has been so threatened and who's been born blind and he just finally gets up in the face of the Pharisees and is not intimidated by them at all and confesses that whether this man is a sinner I don't know but one thing I do know that whereas I was blind now I see and then later they say but he's a sinner he says listen we know that God does not listen to sinners but if any man worships him believes in him, him he hears. This man could do nothing if he were not paratheo, if he were not from alongside God. And that's it. They can't stand it and they throw him out of the synagogue. Now we're going to see tonight how that's a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ did in order to open up our eyes that we might see. Let me read the chapter again. Beginning in verse 1. As he passed by, having left the lynch mob, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but it was so that the works of God might be manifested or revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And to prove it, when he had said this, he spat on the ground, made clay of the saliva, and rubbed the clay on his eyes. And said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying this is he. Still others were saying no but he's like him. He kept saying. He kept repeating. He kept on having to tell them. I am the one. So they were saying to him how then were your eyes opened? He answered The man who is called Jesus made clay and rubbed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So when I went away and washed, I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. And I made the comment, Remember, he was blind when Jesus sent him to the pool. So he has no idea where Jesus has gone. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So here we go again. So the Pharisees also were asking him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes and I washed and I see. So then some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, How can a sinful man do such signs? And there was a division among them. Therefore they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him, since he opened your eyes? And he said, He is a prophet. Then the Jews did not believe it of him that he was blind and had received sight, until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight, and questioned them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? So his parents answered and said, We know this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. They threw him under the bus. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, the parents said, "His of age, ask him. Therefore, a second time, they called the man who had been blind, and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, whether he is a sinner I don't know one thing I do know that though I was blind now I see so they said to him what did he do to you how did he open your eyes he answered I told you already and you did not listen why do you want to listen again do you want to become his disciples too and they reviled him and said you are his disciple which is true But we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here's a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from. And he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners but if anyone is God fearing and does his will he listens to him since the beginning of time it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind if this man were not from God he could do nothing they answered and said to him you were born entirely in sins and are you teaching us so they put him out Jesus heard that they had put him out. And after finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Mm. How does this chapter picture the way that we receive sight? Well, I have points tonight, which is unusual. But I do have some points this evening. First of all, like this man, we were born blind. He was born physically blind. We were born spiritually blind. In Psalm chapter 51... David says that he was born a sinner. That in sin his mother conceived him. And Ephesians 2.1 elaborates on that a bit. By saying we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead to God as he is. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. We're born hostile to God. And I'm going to resist the temptation to go into some illustrations about how you see that in babies. (laughs) We're content to let God, whoever he, she, or it is, rule over nature. But like Luke 19.14 we will not have him rule over us. We create in our own minds, in what Calvin calls these idol factories, we create in our own minds some domesticated God. Some long-bearded grandfather. Some indulgent, easily manipulated deity who is certainly not holy and who certainly does not hate sin. This God that we create in our own minds, that because we know there is a God, we have to have some God, but this fictitious God is not holy, and is not so hating of sin that He Himself would after suffer his own wrath in our place if we were to ever be reconciled to Him. No, we would never have a God like that. We were born blind. And then Satan is always ready to help us stay blind. Second Corinthians 4 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving. So we're blind. Now let me make one thing clear. When I say we were born blind, don't get the idea that somehow we were victims. That somehow we want to see God as he is. No. No. John 3.19 tells us that we love the darkness. We loved being blind. John 3.19 says men love darkness more than light. So therefore we were culpable in our blindness. We did whatever was necessary to avoid being able to see. We loved our domesticated God, but we don't want to hear about the real God as he is, not the God of the Bible. Don't tell me about the God who reveals himself in scriptures. We would rather stay blind than to see God as he is, holy, righteous, our creator, who deserves our worship, who deserves for us to trust him and to obey him. We'd rather stay blind than to see ourselves as we are by nature. Self-worshipping. Self-serving. Ungrateful to God. Resenting the very God who feeds us, who heals us, and provides us with every... I'm going to avoid the word blessing. But he, he provides us with every comfort that we enjoy. And therefore... Since we'd rather stay blind to who God is and rather stay blind to who we are and since we deny that we are resentful ungrateful we're born blind and we love it. A friend of mine, Mike Clore was pastoring a church in upstate New York. He was one of my best friends up there when I was in upstate New York. And Mike was preaching one time and I heard him explain how he ended up in New York. I knew how I ended up there. That's the only place anybody wanted me. So it's really easy to go to a place if, you, if there's no other place that wants you. you know? when, the Lord opens, when the Lord opens up one door it makes it really easy. But Mike was a gifted preacher. Still is a gifted preacher as far as I know he's pastoring a, a very large church in Rocky Mount right now. But Mike said that he was in seminary. And this is when we were Southern Baptists and the director of missions for the Jefferson County Association in upstate New York came to their seminary and was talking about all the villages in upstate New York and all the towns that did not have one single gospel preaching church up there. And how those people didn't know anything about Jesus. And that if somebody would just go up there and tell them about Jesus, they'd come to Jesus and they'd get saved. And Mike said, he went home and told his wife, said, honey, we've got to go to upstate New York. So they moved up to Potsdam, New York. And when he got there, he found out they already knew about Jesus. And they hated him. And their attitude was, we love our sins. And nobody's going to take our sins away from us. Now, if that's the case, if that's what we're like when we're born blind... How in the world does anyone ever see? Point number two. Jesus sees us and comes to us. There are some parallels here in what Jesus has done to the man born blind. And what he did at the pool of Bethesda back in chapter 5. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him. They're speculative theological question notice that Jesus sees the man before the twelve ask him any questions and notice that Jesus determines to heal this man to give him sight without the blind man asking him to give him sight that's the same way the Lord Jesus Christ saw us while we were still loving darkness and he came to us in the person of his spirit Please notice who came to who. We didn't go to him. He came to us. Notice also that there's a hint of election here. Remember, we're at the temple. Is this the only beggar at the temple? Acts chapter 4, what about the man who was born lame? begging at the beautiful gate but Jesus didn't go to any of them and heal them on this day he went to this blind man to give him sight because remember the point is he is the light of the world God works in his own time and his own ways God always takes the initiative in salvation no one is looking for God, until the Holy Spirit changes our desires by giving us a new heart. Romans chapter 3 verse 11 says, There's none who seeks after God. No, not one. And when the Holy Spirit sovereignly gives us a new heart, then we begin to desire to know God as he is. Point number three. Jesus uses means to open our eyes. If you look at verse 6, When he, Jesus, had said this, that he is the light of the world, he spat on the ground, made clay of the saliva, and rubbed the clay on his eyes. Jesus made clay and rubbed it on the man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Jesus uses means to open our eyes as well. And the means that he uses is the gospel. Now we're going to chase a rabbit for just a second here or just a couple of minutes I remember preaching in a, a church in this county that had not been they had been without a pastor for a few months and one of the deacons came up to me after I would preached on Revelation chapter 5 verse 12 about glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done and he said oh brother that's the first time we've heard the gospel in, in this church in months and I thought that's not the gospel this bible preaching But not all Bible preaching is the gospel. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Keep your place there in John. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to begin in verse 1. Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I proclaimed as good news to you, which also you received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I proclaimed to you as good news, that is, as gospel, unless you believed for nothing. For I de- Here's the gospel. For I delivered to you, first of all, what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Kephas and then to the twelve. The gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins. This is the means the Lord Jesus Christ used us to open our eyes. The Holy Spirit convicted us that we were sinners. Christ died for our sins. He disabused us of this foolish notion that we made mistakes. Now, 2 plus 2 equals 5 is a mistake. But we didn't make mistakes. We sinned. He disabused us of the notion that nobody's perfect. I mean, as if we ever thought that anybody was or as if we ever thought that anybody was even trying to be perfect. No. We're sinners. And he convicted us that we we're sinners. That we are intentional defiant rebels against God. And against his will as he has revealed it to us in his law. Isaiah 53.6 All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We have walked away from God. In our blindness. In our desire to have nothing to do with him, just leave us alone, we turned away from God and went our own way. Pastor Jonathan preaching this morning, and he brought up several times that God's way is the only way. That God's way is the way of life in in a family relationship. And you depart from God's way and God's revealed will for the family, and you're going to bring death and destruction into the family. But we are sinners. As Luke 19.14 says. We will not have God rule over us. And God's own son died. For our sins. He suffered and died in our place. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Puts it like this. That God the Father made him who knew no sin. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. To be sin. For us, literally in our behalf. First Peter chapter two, verse twenty four says He himself, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. It's incredible, but it's true that God would slaughter, sacrifice, and horribly kill his own son for us, for the rebels. But Romans chapter five makes it plain when we were still without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man would one die but perhaps for a good man one would even dare to die but God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners defiant, rebellious hating him Christ died for us Now, be careful how you think of that term, died. You see, it's not merely ceasing to live. See, the Lord Jesus Christ did not die by declining in health over weeks, connected to IVs and painkillers and sedatives, surrounded by loved ones, and slowly losing vigor his life slowly draining out of him. Until finally one evening. His soul left his body. And he peacefully died. No, that's not the way he died. It wasn't even a sudden unexpected death. Like from a heart attack. Or a stroke. Or for an accident. In a flash. He's gone. That's not how he died. Though the Lord Jesus Christ. When it says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ died only after he had suffered the father's fiery wrath against every one of our sins. Of every person who would ever believe in him. Let me say that again. Christ didn't die until he had suffered fully the father's wrath for each and every sin. Of each and every person who would ever believe in him. One sin against God deserves an eternity in hell. Please get that settled. Because it's not the nature of the sin. It's who you're sinning against. A holy, righteous God who has provided you with everything you've ever had. And we sin against him. The Lord Jesus Christ suffered the undiluted wrath of God the Father against all those sins from all those eternities in hell. In six hours on the cross. So Harry explain it to me. I can't one of the reasons that the Lord Jesus Christ had to be God and that it had to be God in the flesh who would die for our sins is no mere creature could endure that and no mere creature could accomplish billions of eternities in hell of torment in six hours of time I don't understand it but that's what's happened he died only after he exhausted all the father's wrath that we deserve. Then, once he had paid the penalty in full, he threw his head back and cried out, "It is finished." And John chapter thirty, verse excuse me, John chapter nineteen, verse thirty, said, "And then he gave up his spirit." Remember. He's not going to die until he decides he's going to die. He's not going, no man's going to be able to take his life from him. He'd already said that. He wouldn't die until the job was done. So when it says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, it wasn't an easy death. It was a death only after the full atonement, after the full propitiation had been paid. And he was buried. That's proof that he's dead. It's incredible to me that the source of all life and this man who is eternal life could die. But he did in his humanity. And then it says, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is, he conquered death. Proof that he could keep the promise he made back in chapter 6. But this is the will of my Father who has sent me. That all those who see the Son and believe in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. If he can raise himself up on the last day, he can raise us up on the last day. And that he was seen. In other words, you have Kephas, that's Simon Peter. And the rest of the apostles, other than Judas who was dead... Were witnesses that this dead Jesus was now alive and is alive. This is the gospel. This is good news. It's the means that God uses, that the Lord Jesus Christ uses, to open our dead eyes and make us see who we are and who God is, especially who God is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how do you get the gospel? Usually you hear it. Uh, normally we hear it when it's preached like tonight or when it's taught in a class or you know, we talk about witnessing to someone, that is you sit down and you have a conversation with them and you begin explaining the gospel to them usually we understand the gospel when we hear it or it may be when you read it I had a professor in seminary Dr. Toller. Uh, he was not raised in a Christian home his parents were atheists And he was an intellectual kid. And when he was 14 years old, his high school English teacher learned that he had never read the Bible. And she said, Bill, you've never read the Bible? He said, no, ma'am. He said, you have never read the best seller of all times in English literature? And that got his interest up. And he said, no, I, I never have. And so she gave him a Bible. And he took it home and began reading it. And as he was reading through the Bible, he came to faith in God. And as he continued to read in the Bible, he came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the source of faith in God. And he was saved. And there he was in seminary 50 years later teaching us the word of God. He read the gospel and was saved. We heard the gospel. And the Holy Spirit used the gospel to open our blind eyes, and then we believed. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. And we believe. But that's not the end of the story. Okay. This is how he opened our blind eyes, but we're not done yet. When we believe, we trust and obey. Look down to verse 7 of chapter 9. Jesus just made the clay rubbed it on the man's eyes and he says go wash in the pool of Siloam so he went away and washed and because he trusted the Lord Jesus and he obeyed the Lord Jesus he came back seeing saving faith always imitates Paul's response you remember what happened on the road to Damascus he's going to Damascus to arrest and perhaps even lynch Christians in Damascus arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem they'll be tried before the Sanhedrin and condemned and on the way to Damascus as he's getting close to the city there's a bright light brighter than the noonday sun that shines around him and he falls to the ground and everybody that's with him sees the light and they hear this voice and the voice says Saul, Saul why are you persecuting me? and he says who are you Lord? and the voice says I am Jesus whom you are persecuting now if you would just come to the front of the auditorium every eye bowed I mean, every, every eye closed every head bowed no one looking around and pray this prayer. No. He says nothing. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Silence. was Paul's response? His only response. Lord, what would you have me to do? That's the response that saving faith makes in everyone whose eyes have been opened either we say it explicitly out loud or implicitly in our hearts we settle it from now on Jesus from now on lord i'm yours what would you have me to do so when we hear as a brand new christian a brand new believer with the plastic wrapper still on us knowing almost nothing when we hear in Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit we say whoa, whoa, wait a minute I need to be, I I should be baptized Jesus wants me to be baptized Then we're we're baptized there's no argument, There's, there's no discussion, there's should be no resistance it's just whatever you want Lord, but that's what I'll do and therefore we say, I need to learn more. So we find a body of Christians, a body of brothers and sisters in Christ. Most often it's people uh, in the, or it's the church whose people have led you to faith in Christ. You say, I need to worship. I, I need to learn more about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you find out later, I've been given spiritual gifts I don't know much, but I've already been given spiritual gifts. I I need to use these spiritual gifts. We read in, in Romans chapter 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about using our spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to build up everybody else in the body of Christ. You say, I, I need to do that. I'm already, always, already, excuse me. I, I'm always leery. When somebody says that they have received Christ as Lord, and then the first thing that they're told to do in obedience, they buck. So, my question to them is okay, now have you received Christ as Lord or just as a counselor? When people say, yeah, I'm saved, I praise the Lord, I'm trusting the Lord Jesus Christ now, but you say, I should be baptized. In obedience. I don't want to be baptized. Then I don't think you know Him. You may have had some understanding of Him, but I don't think your eyes have been fully opened yet. Somebody says, I, I, "Yes, I, I've received Jesus as Lord, but I don't want to be a part of in church." Hmm. Then we need to teach you you need to understand what the church is now I can understand there's a lot of churches I wouldn't be a member of but surely there has to be some brothers and sisters in in the area somewhere that you can learn from and that you can serve you see his commands for someone whose eyes are open for someone who has said Lord what would you have me do his commands aren't obstacles obstacles we're an open pathway to be able to please him and so we're going to follow whatever the Lord Jesus Christ has said having said that we're not glorified yet and we're still battling the flesh and the flesh is strong and we will trust and obey the Lord Jesus Christ even when we sin you say Harry that sounds contradictory no hear me out I said, when we sin, and we will. Say, Jesus is my Lord. That doesn't mean you're always going to obey him. Sometimes we kick against the goats. But when we sin, what does the Holy Spirit do? According to Hebrews chapter 12, he convicts us. And he begins chastening us. And because we believe the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we trust him. And because we want to obey him. When we hear if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We do confess those sins. We do repent of our sins. And we don't lay there in the mud saying. I'm just no good. I'm useless. I'll never be anything. No. The Lord Jesus comes along. Doesn't kick us. Remember. Psalm 103 says, as a father pities his children, Yahweh pities those who fear him. And when we sin, he comes along, we confess him, and he says, okay, get up. Come on, let's go. And we begin to follow him, trust him, and obey him again. One other thing. When our eyes have been opened, we can't help telling others about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Even if you have a shy personality. And the reason is the folks who knew you before you knew the Lord Jesus, they're going to notice that your eyes are open. That you're no longer blind. That's what verses 8 and 9 are all about. Notice verse 8. He came back seeing in verse 7. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying, Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others are saying, This is he. You can imagine folks gathering around him while this is going on. This is he. Still others coming up saying, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. Even if you're shy, people are going to say, What's happened to you? You're different you've changed or you've been changed you're going to tell others about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you even if the telling is costly notice what happened down here in verse 34 after he said if this man were not from God he could do nothing they answered and said to him you were born entirely in sins and are you teaching us so they put him out He had already solved that. He had already settled that in his heart. Before he ever said anything to him. He had counted the cost. and he had found Christ worthy. He found Christ worth the cost. Eternal life was worth the cost. Being with Christ forever is worth the cost. Becoming an adopted child of God. Is worth the cost. So the question tonight is. Is this us? I guarantee you, we were born blind, that is, dead in sins. But did Jesus come to you, even while you were still dead in sins? And you heard the gospel. You heard the good news. You heard that God commends his love toward us, even that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you believe the gospel. The Holy Spirit convinced you, this is true. You didn't have any empirical evidence that this is true. God's Spirit Himself, speaking to your spirit, convinced your mind this is true. And you believed. And so you trust. And you obey. Even obeying when we sin because we repent when we sin. It's settled. You're His. And what a glorious slavery that is. Pray with me. Our Father and our God. Our Lord Jesus, our King, our Master. Holy Spirit, our Helper, our Comforter, our Advocate. To you, one true God. To you be the glory forever. For what you have done for us in opening our eyes. Glorify yourself through us, please. And continue your work of conforming us to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. For your good pleasure. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take a hymnal? Well, we don't need a hymnal. (laughs) Praise God from whom all blessings flow.